Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Eric Devonier, and today we have Sarah with us. She normally does the interviews for us, but we thought today that we would interview her. And uh, full disclosure, she's my <laughs> wife, and so this is a fun chance for us to be able to talk about some of the things we've been discussing on the, on the podcast. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. It's really good to be here on the other end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us, Sarah, tell us a little bit about your, your background. So I grew up in a family that I think um, in a lot of ways was sort of, I like to think of it as the classroom exper experiment, where my parents met in a classroom where they openly discussed questions about the gospel and pursued ideas and so this room was sort of transformed into my home environment so that being raised in my home, we, we did all the normal things with scripture reading and family home evening, but my parents very deliberately asked us questions about yeah. how we felt about things. So. I never felt like the gospel either had to be true or not true. I felt like it was very safe to ask questions, to respond to questions. And in that way, I think it, it was nice to sort of see from my own experience what a non-binary thinking home is like. Yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was very safe and very open. And not that it was all just cerebral and that we were all just discussing questions all the time it was also a place that was full of love and i think the love was sort of manifest with the open-mindedness that mm. it was sort of um braided together with the questions and the love and the safeness yeah so almost like the the love allows for the the questioning to happen right the, the things were open because everything felt safe and secure yeah, and, and it, I, when I think about this safeness and this security, one thing that was really fun about my childhood is that my mom was the primary chorister when I was 11. And so in, in sort of the private sphere of our home, there was this safety, but then at church, here was the same person who had asked me questions and had wanted me really to fully express myself, even if I wasn't sure she was leading these songs in primary and i specifically remember when i was 11 and she was the the chorister and we were the tallest ones in primary we were about to go into young men's and yeah, young women so yeah. we towered over everyone and some of the other kids didn't like to sing the songs they were sort of above all that right right but I, maybe partly because my mom was the chorister i i loved singing those songs and I felt my mom's love of the music and of the songs, but not just that, it was, it was the lyrics. And I was thinking about one of the first times that I remember feeling the spirit and knowing that it was the spirit was when we were singing a specific song in primary, which was a song about love. It was where love is, mm -hmm. there God is also. Where love is, I want to be. And my mom was up there on her tippy toes, just leading with her hands, with all the energy of heart. And, and I felt it and I knew I wanted that love and that experience for the rest of my life. Yeah. Wow. So that, I mean, that, that describes um, 
a, a real kind of unity, right? The, from, from the home and, and to church that, that they sort of bleed into each other. Well, bleed, better um, metaphor would be interwoven, right? That they're interwoven, that, that what you're being taught at home fits in with what you see happening at church. And, and that person that you see at home, you see her at church and doing the same thing. And that, that helps to really strengthen your testimony. And, um, and I know, so you've got, you know, you were born and raised in Utah. You spent some time in Idaho too, always around lots of other members and you have that experience, but what other experiences led to your personal testimony of the gospel? Well, I think as I've been thinking about this, it's interesting to think about it because we ask people these questions. Yeah. So you think, well, how would I answer that question? And it really does come down to this, this sort of public sphere versus private sphere because in the private sphere, I felt like I had a testimony. I felt like I knew God. My testimony was t simultaneously sort of um, stretched and grown when I realized I wanted to be a mom like my mom and I wanted to teach my children. And then I had this revelatory experience where I felt like I should serve a mission. And at that time, there weren't a lot of sister missionaries going on a mission. So what happened was I would tell people I wanted to serve a mission. So it was this very private thing that I was sharing. And what they would say was, well, you don't have to go on a mission. You're, you oh, can just stay yeah. home and get married. No one would require that of you. And, and I was a little surprised because in my home, that was perfectly acceptable. But what I found in the larger church culture was that me wanting to share that love of the Savior as a missionary might not be as acceptable. So it, it was the first time where I saw you know, we always talk about the gap. There was a gap between how I perceived that I could live my testimony and maybe the expectations of other people. Yeah, because it's interesting the way, the way you describe that question. I mean, it almost sounds like the assumption of the question is that it, they are mutually exclusive. Yeah. Somehow, right? The, the, and I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily, it's not explicit and it may not be completely intentional, but, but, it, it, but it almost sounds that way. So instead of saying, wow, that's really great, you want to serve a mission, the response is, well, you may not have to, which, which is a really interesting way to respond to that. And so for you, you feel like that's the part where um, you, you feel like your testimony sort of rubbed up against this sort of culture where uh, I, I'm not quite sure I understand why it's different in, in public uh, that decision, why it's different than how it is in my home. Yeah. Right. So how did you work your way through that particular question? Well, what's interesting is a lot of it was, I was an English major and loved reading and loved stories. And what helped me the most was finding the story of Abish in the Book of Mormon, partly because Abish as a woman, I love that she's one person she was a Lamanite woman and she was a servant. So in that culture, she had three strikes against her. Yeah, yeah. But looking at her story, I noticed how, and this was as a missionary on my mission, I hadn't even seen really, or I guess recognized enough to be conscious of it, her story. So on my mission, 
even in my missionary scriptures, I had circled her name and said, this is a sister missionary. How can I follow her example? And what I realized in her story was that she reached out to people in private. She went from house to house, mm, yeah. but then she also found value in the court. And that helped me see like you were saying earlier, it, it didn't have to be mutually exclusive, that I could have value in the private sphere, in homes, in my own home, hopefully one day, but that I could also, like Avish, have a lot of value and have a voice in public and, and, and make a difference. And I wanted to be able to do that. And so when I got back from my mission, as I was praying about it, Again, it, it's the way that I recognized the spirit was that it was love. Now, it's not all, always comfort, yeah. but that wanting to feel that feeling of love, then I felt like I should go to graduate school, which surprised me because... Yeah, because that's even a step further, right? right? Than, you know, mission, I think back at that time, you're going at 21, mm -hmm. right? And then you're back, but then graduate schools almost feels like a different, another step away from the home, if you think of it as a binary. Yeah. Right? And, and what was so interesting about that, I went to graduate school and of course I, I wanted to get married, wanted to be a mother more than anything else. And going to graduate school, even though it would seem like it would take me away from that, I, I can say that it shaped me not only to be a better teacher, but to be better in the home yeah. once I finally was able to have kids. But that, that tension was really difficult because in graduate st school, I felt like I should study women's stories. And, and I have to say that was probably one of the, up to that point, one of the most painful things for me to do in terms of my relationship with God because I realized how painful women's stories had been in the past. Yeah. And I remember leaving a class where we were learning about some of the painful things that had happened to women throughout history. And I went home and I dropped my knees and prayed about it. And... God tutored me through it, which, which was so interesting because I, it seems like when we have these moments where our faith feels like it's in crisis, a sacrifice has to be made of some kind. Yeah. And he sort of reached out to me and he, and he said, don't sacrifice your faith. Sacrifice the pain and let me teach you. Let me teach you a little bit better. And, and again, that was surprising because I was learning about my role as a woman in a very private, intimate moment with him as my father. Yeah. Because so, you know, you, you have that experience going on. And if I can back up just a second, you talked about how the tension was really difficult in graduate school. What did that feel like for you? Because it, it connects with what you're learning, right? As you're on your knees praying about these, these stories um, and, and about um, understanding the roles of women, but, but what was that tension like for you? Well, I think the tension 
was a constructive tension in yeah. that it helped me see where I was didn't necessarily have to be where I was going to stay. That there, that there needed to be some movement and that the movement didn't have to be away from my testimony or away from God, that it could be towards understanding and that that understanding was going to come through education and through study and through studying women's stories even more yeah. and through writing my um, master's thesis about women's stories and about looking for women's stories. And, and that through doing that, I can understand how I could take that tension and instead of becoming bitter because of it, I could help other women value their stories mm. and that I could teach other women how God valued their stories. Yeah, and I, I really love that because it, it ties back to Abish, I think, in, in a lot of ways. Because Abish, like you said, her ability to help people home to home, but then also work in the court. I mean, think about how central Abish is in that part of the Book of Mormon. Because, um, you know, and it's, a, it's an interesting part of the Book of Mormon because you have everybody passed out, right? I mean, everyone's going, what's going on? Yeah, everyone is passive because they're unconscious. Yeah, they're except, unconscious. Except and, for Abish. Except yeah. for Abish. And no one knows what's happening, right, at that part. Abish, though, because she had been taught by her grandfather, right? Her Remember? father. father um, that she, she's able to recognize what the situation is and go from home to home. And so it's, it's that lesson, again, about how important... Um, women's stories are, which yeah. is hard because they're not always front and center, right? We know, we, you know, often we, we think of Nephi uh, and, and Lehi's family where uh, we know there are women included, but, but they're not really talked about aside from Sariah. Um, and so how do you feel like then what you gained from that graduate school experience and, and from your mission, how do you feel like those things helped you um, in in your future, like with uh, as a mother or mm -hmm. as a teacher uh, at, a, at a university? Well, I think that that idea of, I like that you said that Abish was the only one that was conscious. I think um, being aware and being yeah. conscious and, and thinking, okay, if, I, if I'm aware of history, if I'm aware of women's stories, if I'm aware of my story, that's going to help me wake everybody up to the importance of these female stories, these female experiences. And... Ironically, me being aware of those public stories and, and Abish's influence in the public sphere, it has helped me in callings with other women, certainly with other in Relief Society callings, in young women callings, to be able to help them see that they don't have to be in the limelight to have value, that their value is unconditional but that their voice does need to be consciously developed and, and they mm. need mm. to find ways to share their story. And even, even if they f feel uncomfortable, if they perceive that they're less valuable, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're true, but that I could ask them to share their stories and show them that certainly they are valuable beyond their bodies or beyond beauty. And graduate school taught me that and then even as a mother, what, what was so interesting about that too is feeling like I, I wanted to be a mother and I wanted to have as many children as God wanted me to. I, I think 
being a missionary and being in graduate school and doing those things in the public sphere helped me feel so valuable that I knew I could sacrifice to have children. That, that primary song where love is, I want to be, and, and I wanted to have children who hopefully would be raised in a home like that. And what I found was when we were first able to get pregnant, pregnancy was so difficult. I was much sicker than I thought I would be. I felt useless. I remember lying on the couch and we were in our little newlywed apartment and people would walk by the window and I would think, how is the world populated? How are there people walking around? Because every one of them had a mother who felt like this. How in the world does the world keep going? How, does, how is it populated? And, and in that moment, what I learned was that the strength that I had gained through being educated, through founding, finding my value, helped me in that very, very mo- most private of private spheres with a pregnancy where no one could help me through it. I, I was all alone. And, and again, it was almost like that moment when I had been praying about women's issues, except it was praying about my issue as a woman. Right. And what, what happened was because I had the courage and because I had learned that, that God would reach out to me when I wanted to, to do the things that he asked me to, in that very private moment, he taught me that the atonement could help me get through a pregnancy. Yeah. And, and we have seven kids, as you know. You were <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and with each one of them, I was able, again, I just felt like you, you sort of, with your faith, you approach an altar, an altar and you need to put something on it. Yeah. So you put your faith on it, sacrifice your faith, or you put yourself on it. And for me, it was, I learned that the Savior would help me and be so close to me. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was the private sphere, is the private sphere of the atonement, and that He would strengthen me Every day when I got up and I thought that I could not make it through one more day of sickness, that it became sort of like this privilege to be in a private sphere with him. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you ask me how what I learned at graduate school would apply to some of the things that we're talking about. And I noticed how studying about women and their stories in graduate school helped me appreciate the sublime beauty of the restoration and what it offers us in terms of a unique perspective about women. I think of the restored doctrine of Eve and we named one of our daughters Eve because of this, that we know about the fall being a blessing. We know that Eve was a hero in that story and that she was able to experience joy because of the fall. And I don't think I fully appreciated that before I had had some of the tension, before I had had some of the questions about my role as a woman and my value as a woman. But that it's, 
aesthetically astounding to realize that our church is the only one that believes that about Eve. We believe in Heavenly Mother. We believe in women having authority with their husbands um, and being able to appreciate and be blessed by the priesthood fully. And that perspective really helped to ground me and to understand how beautiful the restoration is in terms of what it does for women. Well, and I, I, what I love, you know, listening to that, that story and, and, you know, the, the arc of your story as you've just told it, is that idea that, that anything good that we earn, any blessing that we have, we don't, we don't have to lose. That we, that we can gain those things, that the, the things that we gain through experience and through drawing closer to God can stay with us, whether it's graduate school, mission, motherhood, all those things can combine together. And in, and in your story, you know, what originally, uh, maybe when you were a teenager, felt like, oh, it's a fork in the road? No, it's, it's not really a fork. That, that um, you know, that scripture from Romans that, um, you know, all, all things can work together for the good of those who love God and regardless of your path. And, and so, you know, your, your path kind of weaves in an interesting way in both a private and, and public sphere, but all of it together, much like Abish's story, uh, brings you closer to God. And so, you know, my final question would be, so what, what advice would you give to younger women who are facing some of those deci- decisions about, about missions and about marriage and maybe even graduate school and and you know those decisions that they have, which are really significant decisions, you know, especially for women, that private public sphere, I think can feel, well, I'm not speaking as a woman, but I would imagine it could feel like you've got to go one way or the other. I mean, what, what would you say to women that are younger than you, or what would you even say to your younger version, your younger self? Well, that's an interesting question because I don't know that I'm qualified to give advice to women, but I can just speak as myself that um, I just keep thinking of Alma 32. Like, and and I was, ironically, I was listening to it as I was stirring something on the stove the (laughs) other day. So, um, and as I was listening to it, I realized, you know, we talk so much about planting the seed, but the people who heard that story had been cast out of the synagogue. They had been cast out of the public sphere. And I know as a woman, sometimes it's easy to feel that way. Like you're cast out of the synagogue. But Alma stopped preaching to everybody else and focused on them. Yeah. And what he says was, and what he said was, if you even have a desire to believe, plant the seed. And, and what I noticed when I was listening to it, I hadn't noticed this before. He's not talking about planting one seed. He's planting, he's talking about planting a multiplicity of seeds. It's a, it's a, a lot of seeds that will grow up to be a tree. And, and so I was imagining at, is it as this tree with all these other trees. The most central figure, the most central symbol is the tree of, of course, the tree of life, yeah. which is the atonement. But there are all these other trees. And so I feel like I can plant all the trees that God would ask me to, but that I just need to make sure that it is the fruit of the tree of life that I am most centered on. And and not that every woman needs to 
do everything in the public and private sphere. I, I just think it is it is private. It is so personal, but that when I have centered myself and my testimony on the fruit of the tree of life, then all these other trees get to grow and I get to become everything, well, beyond everything that I hoped that I would be. And, and I think I, I feel really blessed and lucky to have a whole garden full yeah. of trees. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed being on the other chair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that enjoyment is the right <laughs> word, but it was fun to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Great, thank you. <laughs>